preached last week was our Vision Sunday. Who got their wristbands? Come on. And if you're at home, sorry, they're here. Wristbands, flip the script. God is speaking to us for this year and for what He wants to do with us through and through our mission, which is reach far, raise up, and release wide. And so for the next three weeks, we're just going to reinforce that mission because I don't just see it as a mission for this church story. I see it as the calling into that, and I want to speak to that. I have no desire just to educate you or inform you or entertain you today. I want to move us. I want to move my heart. I want to move you. I want to move you from apathy into action. I want to move us from not seeing to seeing. I want to move us from the heart of selfishness sometimes that creeps into smallness to the heart of God, which keeps exploding us and pulling us into a bigger story. I want to preach this morning about reach to the end. Here's the thing, you're only going to find out what that means at the end. So welcome to church. And um, so I'm preaching about reach far today, but before I do that, I want to pray. Oh God, to worship together with your saints and feel your presence and be reminded that you're unbelievably kind, unbelievably good, unbelievably faithful. There were two or more gathered, you are there every single time. And when believers call out your name, you are there we honor your presence this morning. We honor your goodness. We bring you all the glory, honor and praise this morning. Amen. Amen. So this morning, I want to reach, speak about the top line of our vision to reach far. Maybe you've been in church before. You're going, I don't see that in the Bible. I'm going to show you where it is in the Bible, but we've been preaching it. We believe it, that God has called the church to be a church who reaches the ends of the earth, who has a desire in our lives to make sure that our lives are reaching because we worship a God who left the perfection of heaven in a perfect state, in perfect communion with the Father and the Son. They weren't, they weren't fighting over an Xbox. They were saying, how do we save the world? Our creation, sons and daughters of the living God. A couple of years ago, actually now almost 17 years ago, as I've been married for 17 years, I was a newly married man, went to a braai with a whole bunch of dudes. It was like a guy's time on a hot, sweaty summer day in Durban. And we were passing a rugby ball, and I gave my best long pass, and I just saw my ring which was new and special, fly off my finger into a bush. And I, I don't know what happened. I just went into mission mode. And for like the all sum total, about 45 seconds, people, the guys helped me look. It was the very generous guys, amazing friends. And, um, but it was a hot summer's day, and, and it wasn't about the value of that ring. It's white gold. It was insured. I could have got another one. It was about who gave it to me, the day they gave it to me, the promises I made when she gave it to me. It was special. It was worth more than its value. It was worth more than its cost. So I kept digging in that bush on a hot summer's day. I got so burnt. I came home, and my wife rebuked me for getting burnt. I'm like, I was looking for my ring. Yes, Candace, you. And... Um, but eventually, after about 90 minutes, an hour and a half of searching, getting burnt, getting scratches by the bush, almost ripping my mate's bush out of the ground, eventually I find my wedding ring. And, and, and the reason is because it actually wasn't about what it was cost, it was about how much it was worth to me. When we speak about reach far, we are reminded that it's not about what it costs, it's what it's worth when we're reaching lives. When the father said, I'm gonna give my son to save the world so that the broken and the lost can come home, it was never about what it cost. It was about what it was worth to the father. And reach far is about us understanding worth and repositioning worth of people and lives and those far from God and eternity because sometimes we easily forget it. 
And God reminds us that it, it was never about you. See, here's the thing. The price is paid, so the cost has been paid. He just said, will you just tell the story about the one who paid the price? But there's a massive worth, and I want to remind us to do it and provoke us, because I don't believe the church are confused, the church are confused about what God's mission is, what the Father was prepared to do to fulfill that mission, what price he was prepared to pay. I don't believe we're confused about that. We receive it with wide open hands and hearts, but sometimes we get confused about our part and response to that sacrifice. And there has to be a provoking through the word, through the promises, through Jesus' words, that we are called to reach those spiritually far from God, yeah. broken and lost, worshiping foreign idols, little figurines on a door. It doesn't matter. They are spiritually far. They are geographically far. Yes, the ends of the earth. 320 million people worshiping a foreign God with 0% people worshiping in that people group in India. If that doesn't break your heart, I'm telling you, God and his word and the spirit of God have got to get to us. Demographically far. Different colors, different shapes, different backgrounds, different stories, different whatever. So where to start? Well, we've got to start with Jesus. And I want to help us today, if you're in the room or you're at home and you don't know Jesus and you haven't received him as your Lord and Savior, as I read the scriptures and as we go through the story in John chapter four, you can start turning there now. If you want, and you have your Bibles, you're at home. But today, I want you to hear about the Samaritan woman. And as I preach about her, as Jesus speaks to her, I want you to know that you are the Samaritan woman every time. Yeah. That when Jesus said, I'm going to give my church power in Acts chapter 1, so that you can make me wit be my witnesses to the ends of the earth, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth, they aren't geographical places. They are people at places, yeah. and you're a people at a person at a place that Jesus wants to lead and love. Yeah. But if we're listening today and you are a believer, you have received the grace of God in your life, you are pulled into the gospel story. Today, I want to ask that you would listen and keep an eye on the disciples. Because I think many times that I'm speaking for myself, we act like the disciples in the story. All too often, we read the Bible like we're Jesus. <laughs> and I can promise you just need to ask my wife, I'm not as good as him. But I'm meant to become like him. But in these stories, I want to provoke us, I want to challenge us, and as we've got to John 4, I want to set a little bit of context to the story, because it's a long text, and I don't have time to read the whole thing, but Jesus is on his mission. He's done a miracle. He's, he's turned wine into, water into wine. What an amazing miracle. He, he, the people are starting to follow. The religious leaders of the day are frustrated. Who is this guy? We need to understand who this Messiah, self-proclaimed Messiah is. And he starts speaking into that story. And what happens, it starts causing chaos. So he's moving from place to place and he's preaching the gospel and he's taking this motley crew of disciples, 12 dudes with him. Fishermen still tuning with their fishing statements and, uh, and messing up along the way and going on the journey of dropping the ball and dropping the ball. And he's taking them on this journey. And on the journey, it says they come to this place, thanks, but what's called Samaria. Now, we can read past that and think, cool name, it's like a road. So no, it's not. Samaria was the place of their enemies. Samaria was the place they would have done everything and anything to avoid. But to the disciples, they would have gone round. They would have paid the price of going round. But Jesus said, actually, Samaria was never about a place or a quick route through. Samaria is a person. He could have told them that, but it would have gone over their heads. 
And so they go on this journey. And in Samaria, they come to a town called Sychar. And at this town, about a half a mile out of the town, it still exists there today. There's a well called Jacob's Well, dropped by Jacob years and years before. And at this well, Jesus walks and, and the disciples said to him, hey, you stay here, you rest, because the Bible tells us, and I love the details, it doesn't leave out the details, Jesus was tired. He'd been ministering. He's coming up against opposition. He's walking in the heat of this arid environment, and he is tired, and it's the middle of the day, and they say, hey, big guy, you relax under a tree, just chill. Jesus is like, sounds great. They're going to go sort out food. So Jesus is relaxing, and then a woman approaches the well, and the Bible says she's a Samaritan woman, and I'll speak about that now. But in the heat of the day, in the middle of the day, his rest is interrupted, and an amazing story unfolds. And I want to pick up there, and as you've got something of the understanding, I want us to remember and be reminded that too often we are prepared to delegate the journey and the, the privilege of sharing the gospel to a paid professional. And it takes the glory and the wonder of the church, and it just dilutes it when we don't preach it right and we don't get it right, that we understand that the church, you say, I am the church. I am the church. This building is not the church. This building can go tomorrow, the church will be strong. Yeah. I am the church. And when I get it that I am the church, there is no plan B. You are plan A. Say this with me if you're done. I am plan A. I'm plan A. I'm plan A. I'm God's best plan to save the world and tell his story through the world. My first point is this, it's a simple one, don't miss the moments. We try and make it so you can take these away and remember, but don't miss the moments. I was sitting next to a cricket field last week and watching a friend of mine's son play cricket, and, and she said, she made this amazing statement, she said, I've only got four more summers with my boy. And then I realized, I've only got five more summers with my boy. And then he'll be my son who's a man and on his own journey. And all of a sudden, you start getting a little bit like, I want to make the most of every moment. I want to climb mountains. I want to swim seas. I want to traverse rivers with my boy and make memories and take the moments. Life happens fast. This is a moment. This is not an Instagram moment for Jesus. This is a moment he took. It says this in John chapter 4, verse 4. Now he had to go through Samaria. So he came down to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of, ja of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from his journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. Please understand, about noon means 12 o'clock. It means hot. It means no water. He didn't have a bucket to drop water in that well. He was tired, and he had a justified rest coming on. Anyone ever feel like you've been there? It's like I get times, I, I must be, I'm that guy, I'm like, Wally Gerstmeyer irritates me. <laughs> Honestly, he just, there's moments I've traveled with Wally and like, he'll be sleeping on the car to the way to the airport and I have to wake him up to get him on the plane. Then on the plane, I want to sleep and he's alive. He's like talking to the guy next to him and talking to the lady serving drinks. He's just on it. I'm like, ah, I just want to sleep. Thank Lord for masks. I put one here, one here, one here. It's just masks everywhere. But it's an amazing thing. He's traveling. He's tired. It's an inconvenient moment. And this lady comes to the well in the middle of the day. But Jesus is Jesus. He's God. He knows no one goes to the well in the middle of the day. He knows that the only people who go to the middle, well in the middle of the day are those full of shame. And they don't want to see other people. 
He knew this lady's story. And so he saw with spiritual eyes, different eyes, he realized this isn't just a moment in time that I can let go. So he engages her, and this is the way he engages her, something simple like, can I have a drink of water? Can I just have something to drink? And I'm gonna explain why that question was profound, but the challenges, moments come and go. He challenges later in verse 34, he says, you disciples, you, you have this statement, uh, it's, it's still four months away to the harvest. Yeah. It's a colloquial statement that used to be used amongst the people in daily life saying, we've still got time. There'll be another moment. There'll be another opportunity. There'll be another day. There'll be someone else. No, Jesus takes the moment, and in taking the moment, he reminds us we are called to be a people who take the moment. We don't miss the moment. Thank you, Bunty. He's excited. Good to have you next to me, buddy. It says this in verse seven, when a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone to town. See, Jesus knew, and he had a value system, the Father's value system, that it's not what it costs. It's gonna cost him his rest. It's gonna cost him a conversation. It's gonna cost him engaging someone he knows is broken with a broken story and is gonna need healing and a wholeness. And he steps in, he says, will you give me a drink? Where does evangelism start? So many people here are are challenged. Where does evangelism start? It starts here. How are you? Do you have kids? How are they doing in this pandemic? I mean, you look tired. Can I help you? That's where evangelism starts. It's simple conversations with care in your eyes and love in your eyes. Again, Wally Gersmeyer's story. We were on a staff day and we thought we'd have fun. We'd go on a train down to the south and go have fish and chips somewhere. We jump off the train and we jumped off the train and the staff were just, we're just having fun. We, we work hard, we get together. Now we're on the train. I mean, not all of us have been on the train. For me, it was exciting. And we jump on the train after the lunch. We just got to get back because we got to get back before the traffic. And we're talking, talking. And I see Wally, he'd always look over my shoulder. He was kind of listening to me, but not really. Because when he started looking over my shoulder, I knew there was someone there he'd spotted. So Wally, while we're talking rubbish about the stickers on the roof that made all sorts of promises, Wally went and spoke to someone in the booth behind us. We just carried on. I was joking and Gabriel was joking. Five minutes later, we're looking and I'm looking for Wally. I turn around, lean over the booth to see Wally and Shirley sitting on either side of an amazing man, weeping his eyes out as they pray for him. And they led him to the Lord that day. When we were messing around, they took the moment. But it didn't just stop there. We came to church that Sunday and while he's preaching, that dude gets in a taxi from the southern suburbs and beyond, like down there somewhere, Fishhook or something, comes all the way to Tableview because he wants to see the guy who led him to the Lord and he walks in while Wally's preaching and it was like this, they like ran into each other's arms. It was just the most ridiculous moment. Going, ah. You know why it happened? It happened because they took the moment. Yeah. And Jesus takes the moment. And Rory used to say this all the time when he preached, and I was this 14-year-old thinking, I'll have a million opportunities. He said, there are three things you can't get back. An arrow shot from a bow, a harsh word spoken from my mouth, and a moment in time. You just can't get them back. Point number two, I need to move forward. Put to death prejudice and preference. Can you say this with me? Put to death. It's a radical action, and I'm going to tell you why. It's because we live in a world with acceptable levels of prejudice. 
acceptable levels of pride. As long as I'm not tweeting it or putting it on Facebook, it's okay. It's just in my heart. And the gospel says, no, it's not okay if it's in your heart. Verse nine, the Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? In brackets, for Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Number one, she was a Samaritan. She was the enemy. The war had raged between those people groups since back in the days of the promised land and the 12 tribes. They had persecuted each other. Samaria was a no-go zone for Jewish guys. You just don't walk there. Disciples like, we don't wanna go here, Jesus. Jesus like, we're going here. He had all these pre-existing prejudices that would have been in his people group and yet he chooses to speak to a Samaritan woman. It's got to challenge you and it's got to challenge me because there are far too many acceptable prejudices and accepted preferences in the church. And here's what I want to tell you today. God's not going to lower his standards to accommodate yours. It doesn't work like that. He calls me to him, to his standards, to his heart, and to his love for people. Secondly, she was a woman. There was a prayer that every Jewish man in that day was instructed to pray. It was a prayer of gratitude to God for their position in life. It was called the Tosefta Barakot. And this was the prayer. Thank you, God, that you didn't make me a Gentile, a woman, or a slave. Amen. Every day, instructed to pray. Why? Because in that culture and at that time, women had no standing. They didn't get to ask for a divorce. They were just given one. They, they, were, they could be abused. They could be misused. They were seen as subhuman. Sure. No man would engage a woman. She was shocked that he would even speak to her or look at her. Because in the culture of the day, there was a justified prejudice towards women. And I'm telling you, it's got to offend our prejudices. It's got to get into the smallness of our heart. Because if you want to have a reach for our story, you don't get to choose who you reach. Thank you, God, that I'm a Gentile, not a Gentile, not a woman or a slave. It should challenge us. We make these statements we throw around the world, like don't judge a book by its cover. Why? Because everyone does. Or Mark, you're very angry. I'm not angry. I'm telling you, this has got to be dealt with in my heart, your heart, and the heart of the church if we're going to reach the people God's called us to reach. We've got to get rid of statements like them and they and that crowd and We've got to deal with it. No man over 18 can be called a boy. I don't care if you're offended right now. I want to offend you. I want to move you to the heart of God that we change our ways to become like him. I don't get to change my name. I'm called the son of God, so I've got to become like him or I must change my name. See, God will not lower his standards to accommodate our prejudices. Uh, the root word of prejudice is this firm impression. It's like when you come up to someone and there's an impression and they've got to so override, so get over that impression just to make a good impression because the first one is a bad one. Sure. And, and I'm telling you, please don't just think black and white, that's so small. Think rich and poor. Think privileged and not privileged. Think someone who wears a surgical mask and someone who wears a face mask and you don't like face masks. Think just something you don't like about people that when you meet them, goes, ah, I'm not sure I like them. 
I've been going to an Afrikaans predominant school for the last seven years watching sports in skinny jeans and a flat cap, and it took me quite a while as a guy who's not that scared to make friends, to make friends. And I'm not tuning Afrikaans people. I'm, uh, I had to work. I, I pulled back on the flat cap. I went for the rounded one for a while. Just, <laughs> just make it a bit easier. And we can laugh about these things, but I'm telling you, this is what Colossians 3 says, put to death all that is earthly in you, prejudice and preference. Let me explain what I mean by preference. It's the far more subtle, the far more acceptable, the far less avert form of prejudice. I just have my preference. I prefer white males 42 to 43. No, that's just who you are. <laughs> Basically you're saying you like who you are. So you just want people who are like you, because it's easy. Because we can talk about our teenage years when we didn't have a PlayStation or an iPhone. Makes sense. No, I'm called to be friends with 20-year-olds who know all about those things. I'm called to be friends and navigate life with people who grew up in an era where our, our races couldn't do school together because the one was not the same color skin as me, and I've got to navigate a journey together. Why? Because it's called the kingdom of God. It's called the church. It's called the plan A of heaven. It's called God ripping out and putting to death in me that is not like him so that I can become more like my father because I can sing songs on Sunday, but those don't translate to my prejudices, my pains, my preference on a Monday. I'm missing the gospel, and I will never reach a woman at a well in Samaria. Lastly, it says this, and the point is this, open your eyes, and this is a big one. The disciples rejoined Jesus, and it says this in verse 27, just then his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with the woman. How's this? But no one asked, what do you want? Or why are you talking with her? I love the way the Bible's just honest. I don't know how you read the Bible. I read that and go, the Bible's just going, these eyes were racists. They were prejudiced. They had issues. So it's easier just not to talk about it because Jesus will pick on it. He always does. He sees everything. It's like the one thing they've learned by this time is Jesus sees everything. You can't hide. I remember going to church as a 14-year-old with thoughts in my head about church. Like I love God, but I also love her. A girl at church, just relax. And I, I, I would worry would walk that side of the room and I thought he's the man of God. He's like prophesying stuff. So I'd walk the other side of the, just make sure he didn't speak to me. Because maybe he'll sense my dirty thoughts in my mind as a 14 year old. See, in the challenges, Jesus knows every thought, he knows every story. They don't even ask why he's talking to her. It carries on, it says, then leaving her water jar. Why? Because she's received water, living water, life-giving water. She doesn't need water of this earth anymore. She's received all she ever needed. The woman came, went back to the town and said to the people, come, see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of the town and made their way towards him. Who's they? It's the whole town. These are not big towns. These are the town, these are the people she was hiding from by going to get water in the middle of the day. She was with the people who she committed all her shameful acts among. She goes and gets all of them and says, come see. She becomes an evangelist. Please don't tell me grace isn't real. What had she sorted out in her life? Nothing. What had she fixed? Nothing. How much fruit did she have in her story? Nothing. 
She just told someone about Jesus. And the whole town came up. But I, this is where it's got to offend us as the church sometimes. Meanwhile, verse 31, his disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. I'm going to read on because otherwise I'm going to start preaching there. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. Then his disciples came to each other, said to each other, could someone have brought him food? My food, Jesus said, Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Don't you have a saying, it's still four months until harvest. I tell you, open your eyes and look to the fields. They are ripe with harvest. Even now the one who reaps draws a wage and harvests a crop for eternal life so that the sower and the reaper may be glad together. Thus the saying, one sows and another reaps is true. I sent you to reap what you have not worked for. Others have done the hard work and you have reaped the benefits of their labor. It's the most amazing thing. The disciples come back, but so does the whole town. And Jesus is going, they're coming. Salvation is coming to the town of Sychar in the land of Samaria, the enemy of my people. And the disciples go, it's Wednesday, wacky Wednesday. Or what about Nando's, Peri Peri, the mild one with maybe a piece of Hawaiian, I don't know, the one with the pineapple. Or let's go for a, 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 a twister at KFC. All they can think about is, Jesus, do you want some food? He's going, open your eyes. Why is fasting good? It deals with my earthly appetites that are real. But it gets them under control and more enamored by my appetite for God. These disciples, all they can think about is their stomach and the meal they want to eat, and yet in front of them is a whole town looking for the Messiah. And I can just imagine Jesus going, Father, are you sure these were the 12? I mean, how could these have been them? They just, and he just says to them, open your eyes. They're coming. Church, this is a word to my heart. It's a tragedy. That if our eyes are closed, we're never going to see the har harvest that is ripe. We're just not going to. If we won't take the moments. If we won't put to death prejudice and preference. Then even if our eyes are open, we'll see with, with misted eyes, misted glass. Driving this morning in the rain, you didn't put your air conditioning on, you couldn't see anything. Driving on a dusty road yesterday, I couldn't see anything. It's just dust. Now I've got to see clearly. Open your eyes. Deal with the stuff in your heart. Put it to death. And then take the moments. And on the other side of that, what was the result? The whole town comes to faith. The whole town. We can pray prayers of revival for the next 30 years of our lives, but if we don't open our eyes, we won't see it. And they'll just be good prayers to a great God who wants to do it. But he says, I need you to see it. And I want to jump us forward. And those are my three points. Point number one, take the moments. Point number two, put to death prejudice and preference. Point number three, open your eyes. But I want to land here why I called my preach, reach to the end. This is what Matthew 8, 28 says. All authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and, and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded. And I am with you always to the very end of the age. Hold that thought. It's called the Great Commission. It's for you and me. If you want to know what God's will is for your life, that's it. 
Secondly, then he goes in Acts chapter one, he says to the, to the disciples and all those who are, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, but that, and you will be my witnesses, people who tell the story of what I've done in your life and what you've seen to Jerusalem, to Judea, to Samaria, and to where the ends of the earth. The end. Reach to the end. Why? You know what Sikha means, the town of Sikha? I've never seen this before. Sikha means the end. Jason, play that piano. <laughs> Sikha means the end. Why? Because the woman at the well was at the end of herself. She was at the end of her resources. Jesus correctly calls her and prophesies. Says, she says, you don't know me. He says, oh, I know you. Been married five times. Divorced five times. Now you're living with a man you're not married to. She goes, how do you know that? Because she was at the end, in the heat of the day, exposed to the sun and the elements, ashamed of all her stuff. See, the difference in that day, you don't get to go as a woman, I divorce you. He has to reject you. And I love that Chosen, if you haven't watched, it's an amazing series, but they take some poetic license. Jesus starts speaking to this woman. He says, your first husband was harsh to you and he beat you. Your second husband loved you, but you didn't feel worthy of his love and his care, so you left him. Your third husband, your fourth husband, and every time he mentions the truth of her story, she breaks a little bit more. And now you're living with a man who's just taking from you. He's not even marrying you, he's just taking from you. See, because our end is his beginning in our lives. Jesus comes, and if you know about numbers in the Bible, seven means perfection. Seven days, he perfected creation. Jesus comes as the seventh man to a Sumerian woman he shouldn't even be speaking to. And he says, you're at your end. But where the resources of this earth come to an end, I'm just beginning. But it's got to challenge your heart and my heart as we live in 2021. That at the end of ourselves, I could never go to the nations. Mark, stop speaking about the nations. Why say never? I said that about becoming a pastor, a preacher guy, many times. One day I walked into a house. You've heard the story before lady who sent an SOS call and I was the new elder on staff and I had very little to do because they never let me preach or do anything really and I walked into the house it was the house of a prostitute whose husband let her prostitute herself to sustain their fancy lifestyle in a fancy house of Durban while their nine month old daughter lay in her cot upstairs and God said I've sent you for these. See, I grew up in that fancy neighborhood, but I never encountered that lady or people like that lady. And then God says, it's not what it costs. It's what it's worth. Will you reach to your end so that I can start what I will do with every life and every story? 
Jesus is beautiful. I don't know if you're at your end this morning. Maybe it's not the result of sin. Maybe it's circumstance, situation, corona. I want to tell you about the God who meets you at your end and says it's just the beginning. And takes your life, the brokenness of your life, even your history and your past, and sends you back. Says, tell this story. The Messiah lives. If we will let that story become our story, we'll change this city. We'll impact the ends of the earth. And our lives and our stories will see amazing things. And we'll truly live. And we'll encounter.